0: Section 35 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1, The Renaissance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 11. The Catholic Kings by H. Butler Clark. Part 1 cut off from the world by the Pyrenees and the still unnavigated ocean, broken up into small kingdoms largely absorbed in their quarrels and in the reconquest of the land from the Saracens, Spain for many centuries played a comparatively small part in the affairs of Europe. Down to 1479, the peninsula contained five independent kingdoms, Castile with León, occupying 62% of the entire surface, Aragon with the kingdom of Valencia and the principality of Catalonia occupying 15%, Portugal 20, Navarre 1, and Granada, the last stronghold of the Saracens, occupying 2. The marriage 1469 of Isabel, daughter of John II of Castile, with Ferdinand son of John II of Aragon, united the two branches of the house of Trastamara and merged the claims of husband and wife to the crown of Castile. Isabel succeeded her brother Henry IV in 1474. Ferdinand, who had already received from his father the crowns of Sicily and Sardinia, inherited in 1479 the remaining dominions of Aragon. Aragon and Castile remained distinct, each keeping its separate laws, parliaments, and fiscal frontier. Isabel, as a queen in her own right, retained the crown patronage and revenues within Castile, but general affairs were transacted under a common seal. In Aragon, Ferdinand's authority was not shared by his queen. The Spanish possessions in Italy belonged to Aragon exclusively, as America afterwards belonged to Castile. A common policy and the vastly increased resources of a kingdom, uniting under its sway 77% of the peninsula, at once gave preponderating weight at home. During the greater part of the 16th century, Spain was the chief power in the world. The half-century from 1474 to 1530, which witnessed the rise of this power, may be subdivided into periods distinguishable as that of organization and reconstruction, 1474 to 1504, that of lawlessness and revolution, 1504 to 23, that of absolute monarchy, 1523 to 30. The reforms of Ferdinand and Isabel, the Catholic kings, put an end to anarchy and formed the bridge between the division of power of the Middle Ages and the absolute monarchy of the 16th century. To understand them, we must briefly recall some peculiarities of the institutions of the larger states of the United Kingdom. The organization of the Kingdom of Castile was the direct result of its gradual reconquest from the Saracens. Including in its population Asturians, Galicians and Basques, as well as Castilians and the mixed peoples of Andalusia, the land is divided ethnologically and geographically into well-marked districts, never thoroughly welded together. Castile was governed by traditional municipal usages and local charters, rather than by national laws. Conquered lands were retained by the crown, or granted to lords temporal or spiritual, or to corporations. The crown in some cases retained feudal rights, but in others alienated the whole authority. The owners, in the latter case, became almost independent princes. Lands conquered without his help, owed nothing to the king. Their conquerors divided them, and elected a chief to rule and defend them. Thus were formed behetrias, benefactoria, independent communities boasting that they could change their lord seven times a day, and distinguished according, as the Lord might be chosen among all subjects of the crown, or only among certain families. At the end of the fifteenth century, the behetrias were disappearing. Their factions made them an easy prey to their neighbors, the great nobles or the crown. Unclaimed lands became the property of those who settled on them. The great estates of the crown and titled nobles were subdivided among the free men, Hidalgos of their following. Those who settled on owned lands became the vassals of the owner. The power of a lord over his vassal was unlimited, unless defined by charter. Down to the 13th century, the law ran, He may kill him by hunger, thirst, or cold. Under these conditions, it was impossible to attract settlers to newly conquered and dangerous lands near the frontier. King and noble vied with one another in the attempt to attract population by grant of charter, fuero. To grant a fuero is to define the obligation of vassals to their lord. Under the local fueros sprung up the municipalities, electing their magistrate to administer public lands and to carry out the laws of the fuero. As the power of the municipalities increased, that of the nobles or the crown shrank within the district. The municipalities were the basis of political organization of the commons. By siding with the kings in their long struggle with the nobles, they increased their liberties as against the nobles, but fell more under the authority of the crown. The royal judge and tax-gatherer replaced the officers of the overlord or municipality. The king interfered in local matters, nominating the magistrates and appointing a president over them, the Corregidor, whose vast and undefined powers gradually superseded municipal authority. The legal and political classification of persons corresponded to the division of the land. The three estates were formed by ecclesiastics, Nobles, including the titular nobility, and the minor free or feudal holders, hidalgos, and commons, in many cases the descendants of the serfs of the soil. The privileges of the first two orders were enormous. They were exempt from direct taxation. Their lands were inalienable. They were liable neither to arrest for debt nor to torture. The nobles were bound to the king only by the lands they held from him. The law recognized their right of formally renouncing their allegiance and making war upon the king. Their rights, like those of the municipalities, had been granted to settlers on the frontier. When the frontier moved forward, the right remained undiminished, and the result was anarchy. Under weak kings the nobles extended their authority over the municipalities and extorted large grants of lands and incomes guaranteed on the royal patrimony. Strong kings exacted restitution. The commons, while still paying as vassals certain dues to the crown or to nobles, had, by the middle of the fifteenth century, won the right of changing lords and the ownership of the land on which they lived, with the right of transferring it by sale or bequest. Their condition was notably better under the crown than under the nobles. In order to check desertion, the nobles were forced to follow the more liberal policy of the kings. Slaves were rare, consisting in the main of foreigners, captives in the Saracen Wars, or Negroes imported through Portugal. Jews and Moslems enjoyed the special protection of the crown. The Castilian Cortes originated in a council of prelates and nobles advising the king on all matters civil and religious. In the 13th century, the commons of the municipalities won the right of assisting by deputies at the council. At first, neither the number of municipalities represented nor the number of their deputies was limited for they had no vote. They assembled merely to receive communication of royal decrees, to swear allegiance to the successor to the throne, and to receive confirmation of their charters at the beginning of a new reign. Later, the representatives of the municipalities won the control of direct taxation, to which their order alone was subject. But by this time, many of them, by delegating their powers to their neighbors, or, through neglecting the royal summons, had lost the right of representation. Thus, by the middle of the 15th century, the right of sending two deputies to Parliament belonged only to the cities of Burgos, Toledo, León, Seville, Cordova, Murcia, Jaen, Segovia, Zamora, Ávila, Salamanca, and Cuenca, and the towns of Toro, Valladolid, Soria, Madrid, and Guadalajara. Granada was added after the conquest. The privileged municipalities successfully resisted any addition to their numbers. Large districts remained practically unrepresented. The little town of Zamora spoke in the name of the whole of Galicia. The proctors were chosen among the municipal magistrates by vote or lot, according to local custom. In some towns, the choice was restricted to certain families. At first, the proctors were merely mandatories, commissioned to give certain answers to questions set forth in the royal summons. If further matters were proposed, they were obliged to refer to their electors. No law prescribed the interval at which Cortes should be called but extraordinary supply was generally voted for three years, and at the end of that time, Parliament was summoned to vote a fresh supply. When the king was in no need of money, and the succession was secured, the intervals were longer. No Parliament met between 1482 and 1498. The time, place, number of sessions, and subjects for discussion were fixed by the king. Cortes were general or particular, according as the three estates or the commons alone were summoned. The three orders deliberated separately. General Cortes met to take the oath of allegiance and to receive confirmation of privileges. When supply was the only business, the commons alone attended. As exempt from taxation, The nobles and clergy finally ceased to attend after 1538. The king swore to maintain the liberties of his subjects only after receiving their oath of allegiance, nor was it till after voting supply that the commons presented their petition demanding redress of grievances, extension of privileges, and fulfillment of promises. The articles of these petitions ranged from the widest reforms to trivial local matters. They were severally granted, refused, or evaded by the king according to his own judgment or the advice of his council. The only remedy of the cortes was to refuse or reduce supply on the next occasion. In order to secure their subservience, the kings sought to usurp the right of nominating proctors, to dictate an unlimited commission in a prescribed form to win over the proctors themselves by bribes, and to impose an oath of secrecy with regard to their deliberations. The Cortes had no legislative power. Their suggestions, if accepted by the king, at once became law. But the king was the sole lawgiver, and consent of Parliament was not necessary to the validity of his decrees. Besides being lawgiver, the king was the sole fountain of civil and criminal justice. His powers were delegated, one, to his council, as supreme court of appeal, two, to the alcaldes de corte, a judicial body, part of which held irregular assizes while part accompanied the royal court, superseding local tribunals, three, to the chancery or court of appeal of Valladolid, a second for Spain south of the Tagos, was founded in 1494 and established at Granada 1505. In the 16th century these audiencias, or high courts, superseded the adelantados and merinos. 4. to the corregidores. 5. to municipal judges locally elected under the fuero. Besides these, There existed ecclesiastical courts partially independent of the crown. Since its feudal oligarchy had been broken down, 1348, Aragon had enjoyed a constitution capable, under an energetic king, of securing good government. It differed from that of Castile in its more aristocratic theory and more democratic, or rather oligarchic, practice. The free population was divided into four estates, the clergy, the greater nobility, the petty nobility, and the citizens or commons. Each of these orders was represented in Parliament. The numbers of their deputies varied. In 1518, we find the clergy with 15, the greater nobles, ricosomes, with 27, the petty nobility, infanzones with thirty-six, and the commons with thirty-six. The Parliament thus formed had far greater power than that of Castile. Custom demanded that it should meet every two years and that the king should attend all its sessions. Absolute unanimity was required to give validity to its decisions. It exacted confirmation of liberties before swearing allegiance, and redress of grievances before voting supply. So exorbitant did its claim seem to the Castilian Isabel as to cause her to declare that she would rather conquer the country than suffer the affronts of its Parliament. When Parliament was not sitting, its place was taken by a permanent commission of two members of each estate, which jealously watched over the public liberties and the administration of the public monies, Below the four estates stood the serfs of the crown and of the nobles, who formed the majority of the population. They were little more than chattels without legal or political privileges. The justicia was originally an arbiter between king and the nobles. He afterwards came to be regarded as the personification and guardian of the liberties of the Aragonese, He was appointed by the crown, but after the middle of the 15th century held office for life. His powers consisted of the right of manifestación, or removal, of an accused person to his own custody until the decision of his case by the proper court, and of that of granting firmas, or protection of the property of litigants, until sentence was given. The office of justicia, the importance of which has been greatly exaggerated, was similar to that of inspector of wrongs among the Arabs. The municipal liberties were of high significance. Some communities had the right of owning vassals and administering public revenues, as well as that of jurisdiction. The municipalities elected their magistrates, generally by lot, but privileges differed locally, and in some districts the powers of the nobles were almost unlimited. The constitution of Catalonia bore traces of the ancient, and close connection of this principality with France, and formed the most complete type of feudalism south of the Pyrenees. As such, it resembled that of Aragon more closely than that of Castile. The preponderance of the nobles was very great, though the three estates were represented in Parliament. The vassals remained in a condition of the harshest serfdom until it was ameliorated by John II in his struggle with the nobles, 1460-72. to 72. The evil customs, under which they groaned, were finally swept away by King Ferdinand, 1481. Valencia, at the time of its conquest in the 13th century, received a constitution modeled on that of Catalonia. The land was shared among the great nobles. Its Saracen cultivators became their vassals and the main source of their wealth and power. In the towns, a mixed and busy Christian population sprang up, drawn from Italy and France as well as from Catalonia and other provinces of Spain. Of the three Basque provinces, Biscay was a semi-independent principality until the end of the fourteenth century, when marriage made the king of Castile its senor. Álava and Guipuscoa were originally behetrias. The kings of Castile became their overlords after the beginning of the thirteenth century. The former was incorporated as a province of Castile in 1332. While the local liberties of other provinces were sacrificed to the centralizing policy of Ferdinand and Isabel, the Basques of Biscay and Guipuscoa, owing partly to respect for tradition and partly to the necessity of securing the loyalty of a frontier people, obtained the confirmation of their privileges and the right of self-government. Their contribution to the revenue was a free gift, granted only after redress of grievances. In royal decrees, they are called a separate nation. As such, they upheld their freedom from direct taxation and their right of bearing arms, the special marks of nobility. It is to be noted that certain Castilian towns enjoyed a similar privilege. The first two years of Ferdinand and Isabel's reign were occupied by a war of succession. Many of the Castilian grandees, supported by the kings of Portugal and France, maintained the claim of Juana, called La Beltraneja, whom Henry IV had acknowledged as his daughter and successor, but whose legitimacy was doubtful. Aragon took no share in the war, for in this kingdom Ferdinand had not yet succeeded his father. The Portuguese and the Castilian malcontents overran the western frontier, and seized Burgos and strong positions in the Dauro Valley. The Battle of Toro, 1476, put an end to the danger, and left leisure for reforms. During the two preceding reigns, Castile had been given up to anarchy. The municipalities had become almost independent. The nobles had usurped the privileges of royalty and devastated the country by their private wars, Centralization, repression, and assertion of the supremacy of the crown were the remedies applied. The primary need was personal security. Outside the walls of the towns, all men were at the mercy of the lawless nobility or of robber bands. As far back as the 13th century, the municipalities of Castile had formed leagues or brotherhoods for defense in time of war or to resist encroachments by kings or nobles. Isabel's first parliament, Madrigal, 1476, revived and generalized this practice by founding the Holy Brotherhood. Throughout Castile, each group of a hundred houses furnished a horseman for the repression of crimes of violence in the open country and for the arrest of criminals who fled from the towns. Judges of the Brotherhood resided in all important towns and summarily tried offenders. Their sentences of mutilation or death were carried out by the troopers on the scene of the crime. The whole organization was placed under a central assembly appointed by the municipalities, whose president was a bastard brother of King Ferdinand. The nobles at first objected to this curtailment of their right of exercising justice but their opposition was overcome. A few years later, the hermandad was extended to Aragon. Lawlessness disappeared, and the two thousand trained troops of the Brotherhood, together with its treasury, were made use of in the conquest of Granada. So well had the Holy Brotherhood fulfilled its purpose, that within twenty years of its foundation, it had become unnecessary. In 1492, the Cortes of Castile complained of its cost. The crown hereupon took over its troops, and in 1495 it was reduced to the standing of a country constabulary. In Aragon it was abolished in 1510. The resources of the crown were outweighed by the enormous wealth and power of the nobility. The danger of a combination between the grandees had been proved by the War of Succession, when a mere section of them came near to imposing its will on the country. The reduction and humiliation of the whole order was undertaken and made easy by its continual feuds. The grandees had wrested from Henry the Fourth almost the whole of the royal patrimony, adding crown lands to their own, trespassing upon common lands, and extorting huge pensions guaranteed upon the revenue. It was urgently necessary to set free the royal revenues, and in accomplishing this, the Crown was sure of the support of the people, which groaned under the burden of taxation made necessary by the loss of these resources. As soon as Ferdinand and Isabel felt their position assured, they revoked the whole of the grants made by their predecessor, Cortes of Toledo, 1480. All titles were subjected to review, and only property held on ancient tenure or, as a reward for public service, was left to the nobles. The power of the grandees was still excessive. One of its chief sources was the wealth of the crusading orders, at once military and religious, which had long neglected the vows of poverty and obedience, imposed at the time of their foundation in the latter half of the twelfth century. The purpose of that foundation itself, the work of reconquest, was well-nigh forgotten. The grand masterships conferred on their holders the independent command of an army, and the disposal of many rich commanderies. Nor had they been wrongly called the chains and fetters of the kings of Spain, Instead of crushing them, as the Templars had been crushed, Isabel took over their power. In 1476, she brought forward her husband for the Grand Mastership of Santiago. On this occasion, she allowed the election to go against him. But afterwards, as vacancies occurred, he became successively Grand Master of Santiago, Alcántara and Calatrava, the Pope granted investiture on each occasion, with reversion to Isabel. Adrian VI, 1523, and Clement VII, 1530, attached the grand masterships perpetually to the crown. The king gained the respect due to their semi religious character, as well as their riches and authority. Many of the great offices of state, such as those of constable, admiral, and adelantado were hereditary. Shorn of their powers, these titles now became merely honorary in families of proved loyalty. The grandees were compelled to lay aside the insignia of royalty which they had usurped, and their mutinous spirit was checked by a few startling examples of royal justice. Their children were educated under the eye of the queen and learnt to respect the crown. Careers were found for them in the Moorish and Italian wars or as officers of a stately court. The class which had broken the power of Álvaro de Luna deposed Henry IV and disputed Isabel's succession ceased in a few years to be formidable. Isabel revived the custom of administering justice in person. During a progress through Andalusia, 1477, she stamped out the great factions whose wars had devastated the land. A royal commissioner, accompanied by an army, suppressed the lawlessness of Galicia and razed the castles of its robber barons. At the time of the War of Succession, the only regular force at the disposal of the crown was a bodyguard of 500 men-at-arms and 500 light horse. During the war against Granada, This was increased, and received the addition of the trained troops of the Holy Brotherhood. The rest of the army was made up of feudal contingents and local militias, arrayed each under its own banner and commanded by district governors, grandmasters, grandees, or captains chosen by the municipalities. The period for which these militias could be kept in the field was limited by law, and by the scanty royal revenues. Accordingly, they could not be moved far from home, and wars were local in character. The burden, as well as the reward of the conquest of Granada, fell chiefly to the Andalusians. At its close, a guard of 2,500 horse was retained in the royal service, and the powerful force of artillery that had been brought together was carefully kept up. When the troops of the Holy Brotherhood were disbanded, this force was found insufficient, and the local militias were revived upon a better plan. The old law binding all citizens to provide themselves with arms according to their condition, having fallen into disuse, a decree was promulgated at Valladolid in 1496, declaring one-twelfth of the males between the ages of 20 and 48 liable to military service at home or abroad. Captains were appointed, and the militias were mustered and drilled on holidays. But victories abroad made soldiering popular, and volunteers in abundance were found to submit to the discipline and learn the new tactics of the great captain. The militia was neglected. Taxation had taken the place of personal service, and the municipalities refused to bear a double burden. The Castilian Navy dates its origin from the Moorish Wars, when the Cantabrian sailors sailed round the coast and cooperated with the land forces. Together with the Catalans, they were afterwards employed in stopping communications between the Moriscos and their African brethren. The connection with Italy, Flanders and Africa increased the importance of the service, and the convoys required by the trade of the Indies rapidly developed a formidable fleet. The vast powers centered in the crown were exercised through the royal council. Originally, a deliberative assembly of members of the royal family, prelates and nobles, it was entirely reformed by Ferdinand and Isabel, 1480. Its former members were not excluded, but their votes were taken from them, and their places supplied by lawyers, nominated by the Crown. The President, generally a bishop, was the second person in the Kingdom. The new Council was organized into departments, the chief of which were the Council of State, controlling the public forces and foreign affairs, and the Council of Castile, the Supreme Court of Justice and the center of the executive. The royal authority was no longer shared by grandees and prelates of noble rank. A professional class midway between nobles and people, and entirely dependent on the crown, had sprung up. The lawyers of the council formed the real legislature. Their education had steeped them in Roman law, and their efforts were directed to the unification and centralization of authority. As the powers of the council rose, those of the Cortes dwindled. Over the clergy, too, the royal authority was extended, and the civil and the ecclesiastical power were united to such a degree that the separation of church and state even now remains inconceivable to Spaniards. The morals and discipline of the clergy had become much relaxed. Preferment in Spain was obtained by intrigues at Rome, and those who obtained it often neglected to visit their sees or benefices. Public opinion supported the crown in its desire for reform. In 1476, the Cortes protested against the abuses of the ecclesiastical courts, which usurped jurisdiction in civil matters and enforced their sentences by religious penalties. The enormous and ever-increasing estates held by the church in Mortman had now come to be looked upon with jealousy and anxiety. The revenues of the great seas were immense. The archbishops of Toledo and Santiago nominated the governors of their provinces. Little by little they were shorn of part of their wealth and of the whole of their civil jurisdiction and military power. The annexation of the grand masterships of the military orders by the crown weakened the church as well as the nobles. At the same time, the sees were filled by men of learning and piety and ceased to be an appanage of the nobility. At Toledo, the turbulent Archbishop Carrillo was succeeded by the soldier and statesman Mendoza, known from his influence as the third king, 1483. The next archbishop, the Franciscan, Jiménez de Cisneros, though still a statesman and a warrior, was a crusader instead of a leader of faction, a prelate of saintly life and a lover of learning, as is proved by his foundation in 1508 of the University of Alcalá, Complutum. By a diligent reform of the mendicant orders, he purified and strengthened the Church. In 1482... Ferdinand and Isabel wrested from the Pope the right of supplication in favor of their nominees to bishoprics. This right, at a later date, Adrian VI, urged by Charles V, converted into one of presentation. In the Kingdom of Granada and in the Indies, ecclesiastical patronage, together with part of the tithes, was reserved by the crown. In 1493, A decree forbade the publication of bulls without the royal exequator. In general, it may be noted that after the death of Isabel, the attitude of the Spanish kings towards the papacy became more and more independent. Ferdinand and Charles, when opposed, openly threatened to break with Rome, and the latter obtained large assignments of ecclesiastical revenues, The Inquisition was an ecclesiastical instrument in the hands of the civil power, and when, in 1497, the Pope abandoned the right of hearing appeals, this power became supreme. Thus, religious was added to civil despotism. Indeed, the majority of Spanish clergy were always found to side with the king against the Pope. End of Section 35. Recording by Linda Johnson.